All right, Ezekiel chapter 22. We are nearing the halfway point of the book. Still got a few chapters to go before we get there. Verse 1 of chapter 22. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Now, son of man, will you judge? Will you judge the bloody city? Yes, show her all her abominations. Then say, Thus says the Lord God, The city sheds blood in our in her own midst, that her time may come, and she makes idols within herself to defile herself. You have become guilty by the blood which you have shed, and have defiled yourself with the idols which you have made. You have caused your days to draw near, and have come to the end of your years. Therefore I have made you a reproach to the nations, and a mockery to all the countries." We're going to see that there's two aspects here that he mostly focuses on. One is the faith of the people of of uh, Israel. And the second is their morality. It says that they become guilty because of the blood that they have shed. And they're defiled by the idols that they have made. In history, we tend to remember the shedding of blood which is what they were uh, said brought on their guilt. But we tend to remember the, the shedding of blood more than we do the faith of the people that were involved. When we think of people like Hitler and Mussolini and Mao Zedong and Stalin and Lenin, even Idi Amin, different uh, dictators, and the mass killings that they did. We remember more the mass killings than we do the fact that their, their faith was, was off. And where they had gone with their with their belief in their gods, but God shows that they are two, they are both involved, and actually He shows through this that once you get the faith off, once you lose the right belief, and your your faith in God has been corrupted or abandoned, that the morality will follow. He says, "You have caused your days in verse four to draw near." Basically, they have shortened the days until judgment. So they had so many more days, but now they've they've cut those short because of because of the things that they have done. So they're guilty by the shedding of blood, and they're defiled by the idols that they had made. Now, false worship, of course, is the idols that are for other gods. Corrupted worship is when people of Israel would worship Jehovah through the use of carved images. God had said, don't, don't do that. Don't make any engraven images before me. But they went ahead and did that anyway. Verse 5, it says, Those near and those far from you will mock you as infamous and full of tumult. Now, there's another way to translate this, and I couldn't really find a, some of the, one of the bigger translations that did this. And I'll give you some of the reasonings for this translation being this way. Oh, defiled of the name abounding in tumult. When the when the uh, definite article was used before name, this was often a, a uh, regular substitute for the name of God because, you know, they treated the name of God very sacredly and didn't always speak it. So sometimes they would put the article in front of name and they would use that instead. So most of the people who translate this translate it as in their name as as in Israel's name, but it may also be God's name. 
Those near and those far from you will mock you as infamous and full of tumult could be, will mock you as, O defiled of the name, defiled of God, and abounding in tumult. Now, how much more will this be for those those churches who claim to be different from the world, claim to be separate from the world, but live and become like the world with uh, even fitting in as a way of evangelism? That's not what God wants us to do. God has not called us to fit in with the world in order to evangelize them. He's called us to be a separate people. And we are to be a separate people who follow the things that God has told us to do. And the world will constantly put pressure, put pressure on just about every empire that was there in the, in uh, the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there was the Roman Empire and other, other oppressive governments. They always put pressure on the church to become like the world. It's not new for what we have today. Now we get pressure not so much from uh, an empire, but we get pressure from governmental laws, and we get pressure from media, and because people will like you better if you're, if you're this way. But uh, there's a lot of, of uh, churches in this country who feel like if I fit in with the world, I can better evangelize the world. And so we have to make sure that we are not afraid to stand apart from the world. Israel had walked away from that. When the world, or where was the world to look for light if the church has gone dark? In Israel's day, they were supposed to look to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was to be the source of light. And when Jerusalem's light went out, where was the world to look for light? What nation would you go to? You couldn't go to Egypt. They were filled with all kinds of gods. You couldn't go to Assyria. You couldn't go to Greece. Certainly wouldn't go to Rome. There's so many other countries that were around, but you wouldn't go to those because they were uh, seeped in idolatry, false gods. Israel was supposed to be the light. And they had allowed, allowed that light to become corrupted and to be turned out. When the faith of a nation or a believer is healthy, morals or moral behavior towards other people will flow. We're kind to other people. We treat other people well. Whether they believe the same way we do or not, we just operate in a different way. When our faith in our God is healthy. But when that faith collapses, it undermines the very foundation of moral life. Crime will increase. Immorality increases. We become confused on what truth is. We can, in our country here, who would have thought we would have been confused on what genders were? But uh, I heard some uh, some well-known publication uh, just fired a reporter because they wrote an article about there only being two, two sexes and fired them, lost their job. <laughs> it is... Uh, a very confused world. But we are the light. And even though the world may not want to see the light, we are still there to to declare it. Now there's a list of sins that it's going to give here. And before it's been very general in this list of sins. But now we're going to get very specific into some things that have gone on. But this list of sins is secondary to the loss of faith. The loss of faith is the most important thing. Now if you look at the Ten Commandments, 
And we'll just kind of run through these a little bit. The first commandment of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. That's getting your faith right. You shall not make for yourself the carved image. That's the second one. That's getting your faith right. Then once we get our faith right, we begin to dip down and start to get some of our morality going. You shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Well, let's get into some of the morality area, but it's still keeping your faith right as well. Honoring the Sabbath, that's a commandment from God. Then it's a trust in Him. It still has something to do with your faith and getting your faith right. But then you're going to go on from there, honor your father and mother. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet. And then it gives a list of number of things not to covet. But these are all, all acts of things. But if we have the first things taken care of, we're going to find that we're going to do the, the moral things. Jesus was asked, what are the greatest commandments? And he didn't list any of these ten. He went on and he, he taught them some other things that were in the, mostly from the book of Deuteronomy we pulled that from. In Matthew 22, verse 34, now, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You see, that's a, that's a commandment, but it's getting the, our faith right. It's getting our relationship with God right. This is the first and the great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love the Lord, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So what he's basically saying here is if you can get to the, the, your, the, I'm sorry, if you can get your faith right, the morality will fall right in line. You'll do the right things because your faith is aligned. And that's what we need to make sure that we do. He also gave the teaching about building on the rock. Well, if you build on your faith and you build on, on solid faith, he said build on the rock, don't build on the sand, then everything that you build off of that will, will last. Verse 6 of Ezekiel 22. Look, the princes of Israel, each one has used his power to shed blood in you. This is the princes. This is the rulers, the people that are in, in government, They're the royal family. He says each one has used his power to shed blood in you. We hear a lot about different rulers and uh, different people in government that are doing things that uh, cause harm to people. Some even cause people to lose life, uh, lose their freedom, get put into jail, uh, all sorts of things. This was still going on even back in God's nation with Israel. He said there are certain ones of the princes and each one has used his power to shed blood. In you they have made light of father and mother. In your midst they have oppressed the stranger. In you they have mistreated the fatherless and the widow. You have despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbath. Now we've heard them talk a number of times about the Sabbath because it was a, it was a trust factor. They weren't there to trust God on this. They didn't give the land its Sabbath, and so God said the land's going to have its Sabbath, and so for 70 years you're going to be taken out of the land. This was a big deal for God. In you are men who slander to cause bloodshed. In you are those who eat on the mountains. In your midst they commit lewdness. In you men uncover their father's nakedness. In you they violate women who are set apart during their impurity. One commits abomination with his neighbor's wife. Another lewdly defiles his daughter-in-law, and another in you violates his sister, his father's daughter. In you, they take bribes to shed blood. 
You take usury and increase, and you have made profit from your neighbors by extortion. And have forgotten me, says the Lord God. Behold, therefore, I beat my fist into the dishonest profit which you have made, and at the bloodshed which has been in your midst. Can your heart endure, or can your hands remain strong in the days when I shall deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken and will do it. I will scatter you among the nations, disperse you throughout the countries, and remove your filthiness completely from you. And you shall defile yourselves in the sight of the nations. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Well, he says quite a few things here and lists quite a few sins that they did. They're very specific. And apparently they must have been fairly well known because he doesn't elaborate on any of it. So they must have known. Uh, they may have even been able to pinpoint who it was who had done these things. And even in our own government and things that are going on, we, we know some of these things that have gone on. We know some of the uh, uh, sexual practices of some of these folks have, has been wrong and that it was brought to light. Uh, sometimes uh, there, was, there were some people who ran for political office, but because the press liked them, they covered up the things that they did until suddenly it came out. I remember one person in particular who ran uh, a bunch of years ago, and uh, he looked like he was the front runner for uh, become president. And then all of a sudden, his, um, his ways with other women came out, and he was lost as the candidate. Uh, but the, the press knew about all that. They just didn't want to bring, in, bring it up. We look at this part here for bribery and usury, and we've certainly heard those uh, terms in the news quite a bit. They're uh, they're throwing it all out here with the impeachment. I think it's just kind of puzzling to me why they're so upset at something that could be bribery or usury, when the very person who committed the bribery and usury, who admitted it, is um, bypassed, and the one who didn't do it is they're trying to to put the the same thing with the Ukraine on you know President Trump when they have uh, Joe Biden and his son. Who uh, Joe Biden admitted he did it. <laughs> he actually on video. I'm sure you've probably all seen that by now. On video admitted, hey, I did this. I strong armed them, and within six hours they fired the guy I wanted. But that's that's not a problem. So they want to impeach the guy who didn't do it, so that they can put into presidency the guy who did do it, because they say doing it is grounds for impeachment. I, I I can't understand that. No matter what side of the aisle you come on, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, I don't know how you can't see the futility of such a thing. But somehow the press is able to, to go along with this because this is the same, the same thing that we're seeing today, the same corruption we're seeing here today was going on back there in, in uh, Israel's day and Ezekiel's day. And they were seeing this. And there was still the bribery and still the usury that was going on. And they would overlook it over here, but they wouldn't overlook it over here. They would, they would kill people. They would probably accuse them of things that they hadn't done so that they could feel justified in taking their life. But all this was going on. And it's all because their faith in God had been compromised. And now their morality could be compromised. That's what the enemy wants to try and do. He knows he can't get you to compromise on your morality right off the bat. So he's got to try and work some things in. If Israel had stayed worshiping God the way he had told them to worship God, the enemy could not have gotten in to compromise their, their morality. He couldn't have pulled them into these things. But you see, he was able to uh, get them to look at some of the high places. Hey, wouldn't it be more fun to, to worship God here than to go all the way down to Jerusalem or to go all the way down to the uh, to whatever place they were supposed to go to for, for their area? Why go all the way down there? Look at the beauty and look at the view. Can't you just see God and all this? And so they began to, to compromise that. And instead of doing it as God had said to do, they, uh, they changed some things. Remember the... Uh, Jeroboam 
was called by God to become king because he had, he was exceptional in the way that he worshiped God. And because of that, his character was very, very good. But as soon as he took office, what did he do? What did the enemy come by and do? Well, we compromised the purity of his faith. Well, you shouldn't, uh, you know, if they keep on going down to Jerusalem, they're not going to be too long until they get tired of you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we, we can't have that. So we're going to do this. We're going to make a new place for them to worship. And we're going to make new priests. And we're going to make new feast days. And we're going to make new sacrifices. And we're going to dis, disassociate ourselves from all that. And once he did that, his, his character went downhill real fast. And so someone that God said, this man has set up himself apart and I can entrust him with the kingdom. As soon as he got the kingdom, he went downhill because he compromised his faith. That's exactly what Israel had done before. Verse 17. Now, you'll see this uh, term that is used for, for Israel of calling the bloody city. So just as Jerusalem went from the holy city, because that's what it used to be called, the holy city, it went to the bloody city. Just, just remember, good people can become evil. The, the thing is, the good people will still think they're good. They won't see that they became evil. Verse 17, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. They are all bronze, tin, iron, and lead in the midst of a furnace. They have become dross from silver. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have all become dross, therefore, behold, I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem as men gather silver bronze, iron, lead, and tin in the midst of a furnace to blow fire on it, to melt it. So I will gather you in my anger and in my fury and I will leave you there and melt you. Yes, I will gather you and blow on you with the fire of my wrath and you shall be melted in its midst. As silver is melted in the midst of a furnace, so you, so shall you be melted in its midst. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have poured out my fury on you. So he gives them an example, and this is something they would see in the streets of the city. You wouldn't necessarily see this everywhere, but if you went through the city, they would have these different carts that would be set up. And if you had some silver, or you had some tin, or you had some uh, precious metal, and you needed to refine it and make it more more pure, they would have people there that would do that. They would have a furnace that was set up, because you probably wouldn't have a furnace like this over at your house. But they would have a furnace set up, and this furnace can get real, real hot. And you got to get that... Uh, metal to uh, to become molten and the dross would, would come out and then it would get burned up in the furnace. And so the, the longer you do this, do this, the more pure that metal would become. And, the, and what was burned off, the impurities were called dross. So he says you're going to be gathered together in a, in a furnace and you're going to be, be heated up except basically you're all dross. There's nothing precious there anymore. But he's saying, now the furnace is Jerusalem. And this is where they're going to gather them all together because when the place comes under attack, they all seek refuge in the city. That's where the protection is. So he's calling Jerusalem the holy city that has become the blood city. This is now going to be the furnace. And you're all going to be in there. And when you're all in there, remember these words. You're going to be the furnace. He says, yes, I will gather you and blow on you with the fire of my wrath and you shall be melted. In its midst. That's one of the things you can do with fire. If you blow on it, you'll get it hotter. You'll know, you know, I have a fireplace at home. And if we want to get that thing stirred up, well, you open the door to it, to it, 
get some air to rush in there and that thing will just uh, uh, really take off and really get going. You have to have the fire going in order for that to work. Just because you have uh, opened a door and get wind in there, you can blow a fire out. But if you get the, if you put new wood in there, sometimes you get up in the morning and there's just coals in there. You take some wood and you put the wood in there and then you close the door and you let the, the coals heat up the wood. And after uh, 5, 10, 15 minutes, whatever time is needed, you get that wood good and heated up. And then if you open the door up and let some air come in and rush over it, that air will just cause that to just ignite and uh, get real, real hot. And within a short period of time, you've got a burning fire going on. This is what God is talking about. He's going to blow on this fire, and it's going to get real hot real fast. He says, I will gather you and blow on you with the fire of my wrath, and you shall be melted in its midst. As silver is melted in the midst of a furnace, so shall you be melted in its midst. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have poured out my fury on you. Now, dross is useless. And basically what he's calling them is useless. They have no value. Now they had value because God pulled them out of Egypt because he saw them as valuable. He did things for them in the wilderness because he saw them as valuable. They had a value to them. But because they have allowed their morality to be uh, to go downhill because their faith has in God has been compromised and in many cases it has been completely lost. They're not worshiping God anymore at all. God has said you went from a place of being valuable to where you're worth nothing. Not worth a thing to me anymore. Now you can think about this. Sometimes, you know, maybe you've gotten a special gift from someone who was very close to you, very dear to you. And you you had that special gift and maybe you put it someplace in the house in a prominent place, a place where you would see it. And every time you'd see it, you'd think about that relationship you had with that person. you think about the things that went on with that, the things they did for you, things you did for them, and it would bring back good memories. But if something happened in that relationship and it went went south, and it went bad, uh, that, that thing, that object that you had in the house would lose its value to you. And you probably wouldn't put it in a prominent place anymore. You may either get rid of it, sell it to somebody so it's not in the house anymore, or put it someplace where it's hidden so that you don't see it. Because what once had value is no longer valuable to you. Sometimes we've, uh, we've seen people that were so angered at the, at the thing that they just wanted to get rid of it for whatever it is they could do. That, you know, five bucks, even though it's worth hundreds. I just want it out of my house. I just want it away from me. I don't want to see it anymore. As silver is melted in the midst of a furnace, so shall you be melted in its midst. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have poured out my fury on you. They become dross. And when you have silver, and he uses mostly the silver example, he calls them at one point, he says, you are silver. If you had silver, you, if you're putting that in the furnace, you want to make sure you don't leave that thing in the furnace too long so that you burn up some of the silver or some of the silver would drip down and it would go into the fire and you wouldn't be able to recover it. You want to make sure that you, you put it in and then take it out and then put it in and then take it out and uh, keep going through the process however long it needs to be in there. These people who do this for a living, they know how long it needs to be in there. They're able to watch it and they can say, all right, now it's time for it to come out and that's time for it to go back in again. And they'd be able to do this. There's some skill that's involved with that so that you preserve the silver and keep it going. But God says there's no more value in you anymore. We're just going to put you in there and just let you burn up. 
He says, because you have all become dross. Verse 19. You have all become dross. Therefore, behold, I will gather you in the midst of Jerusalem. So you're going to put him in the midst of Jerusalem and he's going to burn the whole thing up. You're going to turn the furnace on and it's, it's just going to take care of it all. Burn the whole thing. Because they're dross to God. In verse 22, As silver is melted in the midst of a furnace, so you shall be melted in its midst, then you shall know that I, the Lord, have poured out my fury on you. So he said, just like if you put silver and you put it in the midst of the furnace, it will eventually melt and just kind of go away and, and mix in with all the stuff that's in the furnace. He says, that's what's going to happen with you. He calls them silver. At one point, they were valuable to God. At one point, they were, they were silver. But he said, not anymore, you're dross. And even though you are still silver, you have no value to me. We're going to put you right in that furnace. We're going to let that furnace heat up. And just take you guys away. So he's trying to paint a picture here. <laughs> you guys don't think I'm going to change my mind on this. So it's quite a dramatic picture. It's using something they would see in the streets of the city. But once we compromise our faith, our works will go from spiritual to carnal to flesh and then to evil. That's our path. You go from spiritual. Spiritual, these are, these are works that count because we're doing them in faith and they uh, carry on to us on the other side. But if we stop doing them in faith, we do them in the flesh, then they become, as Paul calls them, carnal. And they look good to a lot of people, but they have no heavenly benefit. They don't carry over for you. But then we go to works of the flesh, to where they don't even look good anymore. And then we go from works of the flesh to outright evil. And uh, many of these had gone to the place already where they're already outright evil. These folks were seen as useless. Do you know that even people in a church, God calls the pearl, the pearl of great price, people in the church who were once very valuable can become completely useless to God if they, if the enemy is able to come in and compromise our faith, he's then able to compromise our morality, compromise the works that we do. And God says, eventually you get to the place where you're not even valuable to me anymore. We sure don't want to get there. Isaiah had a similar message to this back when he started his ministry in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 21 how the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice. Righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your wine mixed with water. Nothing worse, I guess, than wine mixed with water. Just diluting that probably wouldn't taste very good. I don't like wine anyway, but I imagine the people do like wine. Uh, mixing it with water would, uh, would take away the, the taste. So your silver has become dross. Your wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. Therefore, the Lord says, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will rid myself of my adversaries adversaries, and take vengeance on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you and thoroughly purge away your dross and take away all your alloy. I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterwards, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed with justice 
and her penitence with righteousness. And destruction of transgressors and of sinners shall be together. And those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. Now when you look at Isaiah, and this was a, this was a long while before uh, Ezekiel here. But if you look at his prophecy, there's some hope in this one. You're going to purge you of all that stuff and we're going to make you good again. But apparently they didn't respond well to the purging. They didn't uh, give in to the, all that. And so they weren't purged of the dross. So they held on to it. In our life, God intends to remove the dross and refine the silver. This is what our living process is about. Every day that we are alive, God is going, putting us through this refining process and getting rid of some of the dross that is in our life and making us more refined silver. The more refined we become as silver, the more valuable we are even to the world. Now, God sees us as valuable. He sees us as valuable as that pure silver right off the bat. But he knows that in order to get that out of it, he's got to put you into the furnace and put you into the furnace. Get rid of some of that that dross. Take you back out. Put you back in the furnace. Get rid of some of that dross. And so when we go through life, our time down here on this earth, this is our time of getting rid of all that drosses in our life. We can become even more valuable. But without the correct relationship with God, the dross increases and our value lessens. Don't let that dross increase. Let God get rid of it. There are some people in your life that they may bug you. They may aggravate you. But they're there to help get rid of some of that dross in your life. They're bringing it to the surface. You begin to say, oh man, I didn't even know that feeling was in there. I didn't even know those thoughts were in there anymore. Wow. We got them there. All right, we got to get rid of them. It's not their fault. It's mine. Verse 23. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. This is talking about the prophets. It talks about them as conspirators. The conspiracy of the prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. These are prophets. These are supposed to be men of God who bring the word of God to the people to help them. Sometimes it's a correction. Sometimes it's an encouragement, whatever it might be. But it says they're tearing people apart as they are prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things, taking them. They're not, they don't belong to them. They've taken them. They have made many widows in her midst. In other words, there are some people that would stand in their way, some people who might expose them, and so they just had them killed. They didn't care about the, the families that were left behind. They didn't care about the, the women that would become widows and what would happen with them. Don't mess. They don't care about that. And these are supposed to be prophets. So that's the first exhortation he has here, and that is about the, about the prophets in the land. In uh, 26, her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean, and they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbath, so that I am profaned among them. Well, that's the priest. These priests, they're supposed to be helping the the people. The uh, the prophets, 
These were, these were leaders that were supposed to see the people, the sheep. They were entrusted to their care, but they preyed upon them instead of, instead of being that guard and that protection. And then her priests come in. The priests were responsible for maintaining the divine law and guarding the sanctity of the worship. But they failed in this. They they didn't uh, fulfill their responsibilities as a priest. With respect to the worship, with respect to the Sabbath, they hadn't taught the people the fundamentals of faith. And so they had failed. It says they were, it says again, her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. So the things that they were entrusted with in regards to the temple, they profaned them. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy, nor have they made known the difference between unclean and clean. And they have hidden their eyes from the Sabbath, so that I am profaned among them. It's amazing to me how many people that are in ministry, how many churches there are out there who cannot distinguish between what is holy and what is unholy. You would think that would be pretty simple to do. Most of us would be able to to think about this, but you've got churches in America who are, are standing behind those that uh, promote abortion. They'll stand behind candidates that promote the death of children. And they, they don't get phased by this. That amazes me. They'll stand behind people and stand behind causes in the area of, uh, uh, of, of uh, corrupted marriage and other corrupted moral things. They don't make a stand for this. They can't discern between what is holy and what is unholy. Whereas the word of God is very clear. And we should be able to see that thing there. That's not holy. That's not what something that God wants us to be doing. And of course then people you know they want to pinpoint you. And say well you're not accepting. It's not a matter of us being accepting. This is what God says he wants to do. If God is God. Then he's the one who gets to call the shots. Not us. In verse 27. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey. To shed blood, to destroy people, and to get dishonest gain. These are the people, the government, the people in government, the people that are supposed to be protecting them. They're in their midst, they're like wolves tearing apart the prey, to shed blood, to destroy the people. Can you imagine that people that are in leadership in the country, supposed to be there to guard the laws and, and, uh, guard against threats outside and inside? And they are there to destroy the people and to get dishonest gain. In other words, if it can make something for me, that's fine, even if other people will get hurt. Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them. We're back on the, on the prophets here. They plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord had not spoken. Now they may have seen a vision, but they should have been able to tell this is not a vision from God. But they were open to it. Because again, they allowed their faith to be compromised, and therefore the morality went away. And we're seeing this, of course, today. There are people that are seeing false visions. There are people who are divining lies for the people, saying God has said this, but God has not said it. We have to be careful with these things. So he's taken three groups of the leaders. He's taken those that were priests, those that were prophets, and those that were the princes. The three groups of leaders. He singled them all out and he told them the areas that they were coming short. And the reason why 
they are part of the reason for the judgment to come. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 29, the people are no better. Now, a lot of times people want to blame the people that are in leadership over them. The people that are in leadership want to blame the people that, uh, that are uh, you know, the common people. But he says, you people, you're no better. People of the land, uh, verse 29, the people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppress the stranger. Now see, their morality is all, all wrong. They're not doing things that are right to do. They've used oppression, committed robbery, mistreated the poor and the needy. These are things that they did because... Because inside them, their, their faith is wrong. It's, it's not right. You can look around at people today. There are some people who can just uh, harm people that are already in bad shape and not feel bad about it because I get a little, bit better, a little bit out of it. But you see, if you have your faith in God and you're feeding that faith and you show up and you worship God and you let that worship come from the heart and you study the Word of God, and you let God speak to you revelation knowledge of the Word of God, and you let the revelation knowledge of the Word of God you have dictate where you go and become a light to your path, when you see those things, it appalls you. Oh, we can't do stuff like that. No, we need to go out there to help those, those people and to, and to reach out to them. The people of the land have used oppressions and committed robbery and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppress the stranger. Well, we don't know who they are. We can just, uh, let's just take them for what we can get from them. Verse 30. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Now, I'm sure that's a bit of a familiar verse for you. We've, we've heard that one a time or two. Can you imagine this though? God has laid out all the things that Israel has done. All the false things they've done in worship. The abominations they have done to God's holy temple. The false worship they have brought into the temple area. The bloodshed they have done with other people. And just in this one, just the specific uh, sins that they, they had done. Not just given generalities, but he's given some very specific things that each of them have done. And he has told them, I am ready to judge you. I'm ready to burn you all up. You have all lost value to me. And then after all that, he says this, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Can you imagine that God would still listen to an intercessor and spare the land? But he said no one was there. Now I'm, I'm sure that Ezekiel and Jeremiah somehow are, are not counted. You, you guys don't count. I've given you extra revelations on this stuff. Uh, you're not, uh, you're not in the place for it. I don't know, because I'm sure that uh, Ezekiel says this. He probably says, well, I'll be the guy. <laughs> That's what I would imagine about that. But I'm sure that there's some reason he's disqualified for that. And he's looking for someone from among the people, maybe. So it says he sought for a man among them. Now, how many of you have ever been brought under condemnation by the enemy for something that you have done in the past or something that might still be in your present. You don't have to raise your hand. Just, just think about that. And he brings up these condemnations to us and tells us, hey, you did this. You were guilty of this. 
this happened with you. You're still doing this. You're, this still has hold of you. And he brings us into a place of condemnation. How many, haven't we been there with that? We feel that condemnation. And the devil tells us, you know, God doesn't love you anymore. It's over. You've just, you've, uh, you've messed up too much. And yet, look at all the things that Israel has done. And still God says, I look for someone. Someone to stand in the gap. That I would not destroy the land. If God would be in a place that he would spare these folks, if an intercessor came up, how much more us for what we've done? So when we hear those uh, those things that come up on the inside of us and bring this into condemnation, because I have done, I did do, I am doing, whatever it might be, just know that's not your God. He is, your God is the one who's going to, He's got the refining fire going on. He's going to take you as silver and put you in there. Hey, we still got some dross in there. Uh, we're going to get rid of a little bit more of this dross because you know, I see you as precious. But he's pulling you back out. He got these point these people to the point where he says, look, even the silver you have, I don't see it as precious anymore. I'm just going to put you in the fire. But he said, but if someone would stand up and if someone would make intercession, I'll pull it back out of the fire. But nope. Nobody out there. Nobody wants to make intercession. He says, no intercessor could, could be found. Verse 31, Therefore I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. God put their own deeds back upon their head. He says, I, I looked for an intercessor. No one showed up. No one came out. So this is what I've done. I poured out my indignation on you. This is what's, what's coming down upon you. I consumed you with the fire of my wrath. And I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads. Now we told you before, the timing of this prophecy is somewhere in the seventh year of the king. And in the ninth year is when we're going to see the uh, city come under siege. So the year and a half, two years, I forget what the exact months of it might be. They aren't far away from it. It is coming. Well, when things don't go well, people always look to blame, look to pass the blame. Well, somebody in leadership, somebody in government, somebody in uh, uh, wherever it might be, we always want to find something. If things aren't going well at the job, then somebody, one of the bosses, one of the vice presidents, one of the presidents, whoever it might be, it must be their fault. We always want to take a look at passing the blame. But here, he divided all the people up into basically four groups. You got the people who run the government, you got the people who run the temple, and you got the prophets that are supposed to be declaring the people the, the word of the Lord. And then you got everybody else. So he divided all of them into four groups, and he says, you're all guilty. Don't try and pass this buck. Now, we gave you four things here. I didn't uh, give them to you as blanks. I just wrote them all out there for you. But if you, uh, if you want to remember these things, I meant to highlight the, the first letter. Uh, you can either reap something good and become silver, or you can reap judgment if you're just going to stay in the dross. The first off, the th- first thing we need to keep in mind, refine the silver. There's silver in us, and it needs to be refined. Sometimes that means we're going to be in the heat. 
then it's going to be uncomfortable. And things are going to be going on in our life that, boy, I tell you what, this is just making me uncomfortable. I don't, I don't like this. But this is where the dross comes and boils to the surface. And when it boils to the surface, we can get rid of it. And then after a little while in the heat, you get to come back out again. And then you go back in the heat again. And then more, more dross comes out. So refine the silver. Keep that in mind. Every time I'm in the heat and things are getting tough, just remember, the silver is being refined. Don't try and get out of the furnace. This, we're not talking about the enemy's furnace. We're talking about God is, is refining you. Second thing, endure and seek out sound doctrine. Paul wrote, he said, the end time people will not endure sound doctrine. You make sure you seek out sound doctrine. Find it and endure it. When it comes, it may, it may be a little hard to hear at times. But that's okay. Keep hearing it. Keep hearing it. Endure it. No, no, I need to hear this. I need to endure this. Because I'm in a refining process. And I need to endure the right word of God. So, refine the silver. Endure and seek out sound doctrine. Abhor what is evil. Don't connect with it. There are some people in the Christian church and they'll connect with people that, that are involved in evil things. Don't make that connection. Stay away from it. The Word of God has said certain things that are evil. There are certain compromises to the, to the worship of God. Don't connect with people who make those compromises. There are people who want to slaughter of innocent children. How much of this, just this one book, has been about the slaughter of innocent children. Offering them to, to idols. And there's other prophets that have done this as well. God is constantly saying, I don't like this. We cannot align ourselves with people that are okay with slaughtering innocent children. i got to know, my God is not for that. So I've got to abhor what is evil. Don't make any kind of connection with it. Stay away from it. Pray for leaders... Pray for leaders in the nation. Pray for leaders in the church. Pray for the leaders that we have. Pray for leaders in your business. Pray for the, for the leaders that are there. The Father God, that they, that their faith with God will be right. Because if their faith with God is right, they're going to make more moral decisions. And you pray for, pray for that. Pray for our leaders. See, if we do these things, refine the silver, endure and seek out sound doctrine, abhor what is evil. And pray for the leaders. We're going to see a big change. Israel, Judah specifically here, they didn't do that. They didn't let their silver be refined. And so pretty soon they, they became completely dross. God says, you don't have any value to me anymore. They didn't endure and seek out sound doctrine. They put pressure on the people that were prophets to say, we don't want to hear that word. And the prophets said, they don't want to hear it. So they stopped seeking after the word that God had for them. They didn't go after what the word of God was, was saying. Nobody wants to hear it. And so they went after words that they wanted to hear. And they began to, to declare those. But don't go after that. Abhor what is evil. If, it's, if God says it's evil, it's evil. And don't make connections with people that embrace it. Pray for leaders. Be in that prayerful mode. Stay with these four things. Make sure you go over them again and again. Am I doing these things? If you do, if Israel would have done this, they would have kept themselves out of this furnace. The way that it is. But basically God's going to say, you're in the furnace, we're going to close the door, we're just going to let everything burn up. And that's what's going to happen here in uh, just a little while. But even still, as much sin as they, uh, that they had done, I think it is amazing 
And then God said, I'll look for somebody to intercede. There wasn't one. Doesn't this verse have incredible meaning when you see it in the context of when it was put? All this sin going on. And God said, still, if there was someone who would have stood in the gap. Now, if you can be one who stands in the gap, think about this. If you stood in the gap for those relatives of yours that are lost, that have given themselves over to evil and to do things that aren't right, if you stand in the gap for that, what does God do? He withholds some of the evil that should come upon their life because someone stood in the gap. Don't downplay your role. Be an intercessor. Be the one who will stand in the gap. We all have loved ones that are uh, people that are close to us and they're not going the right way. But we can be an intercessor for them. Well, maybe they've gone too far. Well, if Israel hadn't gone too far (laughs) and God said, I still look for someone, I'll bet you we have people in our life that that we can still have success and be an intercessor for. Well, Father, I thank you that we can have the ministry of an intercessor. We can have the ministry of a prophet, a priest, we can declare the words of God. We can be those that show people the true worship of God. That you've called us into these things and we can help the people that we have around us to know what the true worship of God is. To know what the true word that God has to say is saying. That we don't have to apologize for it. We don't have to be afraid of it. Just as Ezekiel heard what God said and spoke those words exactly as he was given them, we can do the same. And I thank you that the prayers that we make, the intercessions that we do for those that are lost, for those that have gone in a, in a dark direction, Father, you hear those, those prayers. You work on their behalf. They still have to make a decision, but I thank you that you'll be out there working to help them to make the right decision as we continue to pray and intercede for them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.